0: Richard, I've been trying to work out which year it would have been that we first met each other. Now, I came to England in 1976, but I reckon it might have been uh, a few years before our paths crossed.
1: In 79, I think I started at Beaufort.
0: Tell everybody about Henry Beaufort.
1: Henry Beaufort is one of the three fully comprehensive schools in Winchester. Is that the best? That's the best way of saying it, isn't it? Yeah, the, there's three comprehensives. There's Harry Bumfart, um, Westgate, and Monty's. Well, not Monty's Kings, but back then it was called Montgomery of Alamein School.
0: Um, when yeah. I uh, when I started at Henry Beaufort, uh, it was only I think maybe three or possibly four years old, and uh, it had started off. Uh, they just built a brand new school in the suburbs of Winchester because there was a big new housing estate that had been built there called Hairstock. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. And uh, funnily enough, there were three or four schools in Hampshire that were built to precisely the same plans, so there are identical schools pl- um, dotted round Hampshire. Very? Have you seen them? Yeah, any yeah, I have. I've seen, seen the. I can't. I think there's one uh, sort of um, up towards uh, Farnham Way, and uh, very much. Um, <laughs> 70s architecture, not not attractive in the least and not even very solid. That was just dropped in on cranes or helicopters and put up in a day yeah, I would think. I'm pretty, I'm, well not exactly a day but uh, I'm pretty much and so when I first arrived there they didn't even have a full set of years uh, because they started with just one year group and then uh, eventually after five years then there was a, a full set of pupils starting from the beginning up to GCSE level. So you just had
1: what, three or four years when to I, when When you, I
0: arrived, yeah, th- yeah there was, When you started. Uh, there were, uh, there were four years going then, by then. So it probably was about four years old.
1: So it was just built for Weekend Hairstock. and Hairstock were the reason... And before that, everybody went to Monty's That's absolutely Westgate, right, yeah. yeah. yeah or yeah, Denmark, because you had Denmark, Denmark as school,
0: well. And that, that, those were the days when those two schools were on the same campus, but you had a girls' school on one side of the fence and a boys' school on the other. And uh, theoretically, never the twain... Should meet, but of course the twain did meet.
1: <laughs> do do you remember? Um, do you remember Peter Dixon? Of course, you remember. Well, like, Dixon. Peter, Di- Peter Dixon. The poet
0: is one of the more famous uh, people who um, emerged from Winchester because uh, he he's a very successful, well-known yeah. poet. Is he still alive?
1: No, no, Pete unfortunately died, but only like well, I want to say a year and a half, two years ago, or something. But he was he was old school full flood as well. And, um, but every time that, and he used to do a lot of stuff at the Tower Arts Centre and every, and he always used to, for whatever reason, just because he was Pete Dixon, used to write letters and send postcards to the Tower Arts Centre. And he always addressed them, Tower Arts Centre, Denmark School. Ah. Like, you know, years, years after Denmark and Monty's ceased to exist, Pete always used to still, yeah, send as the, yeah, John Teller, care of Tower Arts Centre, Denmark School.
0: What had happened was that, um... The Peter Simmers College, which is now the Sixth Form College, was the original grammar school in Winchester, and uh, both Montgomery and Westgate and Denmark were all what they call secondary modern schools and uh, eventually they they all became comprehensive when the comprehensive system was was brought in but uh, penny Beaufort always used to um, classify itself as uh, winchester 's first purpose built comprehensive. And of course, it then had a, a comprehensive ethos right from day one, whereas the others were kind of basically old secondary modern schools and grammar schools that had turned themselves into comprehensives. Yeah,
1: and what is that? What is that difference? I, I mean, I'm, I'm asking that because I don't know. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I hear about grammar schools and I hear about, and I like, but if somebody asked me that question, what is the difference between a grammar school and a comprehensive school? I, I actually don't know what the answer is.
0: Really? Now, of course, everything's changed because uh, the schools are kind of, <laughs> half of the schools are kind of run by uh, by uh, almost like businesses, you know, yeah. and they have, uh, uh, but the original comprehensive uh, idea was, uh, it was a labour idea of uh, making education accessible and equal for all. Uh, because prior to that, at the age of 11, you had to do something called the 11 plus exam, which was like a sort of glorified IQ test. And from the age of 11, you, your kind of future was uh, was decided for you because you either went down the grammar school route, which meant you got more academic teaching and uh, you were your peers were all the people who are, in inverted commas, you know, more intelligent than the rest. And uh, if you didn't make that exam, you got sent to what was called a secondary modern school uh, where you did more practical subjects and uh, didn't get to mix so much with the... Uh, Shall we say the, the more elite uh, people from a from an IQ test point of view? Wow! In other words, it, it was a very unjust system, uh, and the idea of a comprehensive school was that everybody then went to the same school, and okay, within that school you then got put into different ability groups for different subjects depending on how good you were at those particular subjects. But you could shift around, and uh, it was a, as a social thing. It was something that I was very much in favour of because. Um, it meant that the classic English class system didn't apply because everybody who lived in that area from the richest to the most deprived all went to the same school.
1: Ah, Right. But then it's interesting because I guess after, if you'd gone through that system, then it did sort of, it might be different now, but then it used to did, it did split a bit after that because there was that choice of either going to Peter Simmons or Eastley Tech, as it was known there. So that's, you, you know, and it sounds like those two were the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the, the further education equivalent of what you were talking about before the comprehensive system. So you, you... Yeah, that's right. You would do your O-levels, and then if you did well in your O-levels and, you know, you wanted to do art or drama, you went to Peter Simmons. But then if you didn't necessarily do well in your O levels, and or you wanted to be a car mechanic or a plasterer, who probably then went on to earn more money than anybody that did drama or art. Um, you went to East, <laughs> You went to Eastley Tech.
0: Yeah, well, techs don't exist anymore either. There was Basingstoke Tech as well um, in Eastley. Now there are there are equivalents of Peter things. There are six form colleges, but uh, you have you can go into a kind of a side of them that are more of a technical bent. Right. And so, it, next door to each other in Eastley, you've got Barton Peveril, which is like Lussex Form College, and you've got Eastley College, which is, you know, you're more of, of, of your bricklaying and your woodworking. Uh, but uh, over the years, of course, there has been a lot of criticism that um, people weren't getting so much in the way of practical qualifications. And in this period that we've gone through over in the last sort of 20 years or so, where it was expected that everybody would go to university. Yeah. Uh, and people are coming out with degrees and then having to learn how to lay the bricks and cut the wood because they can't get a job in media or whatever it is that they graduated in. Yeah, uh, So there's not a value judgment, um, but, you know, as I was saying a minute ago, I came from working in Germany. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, as I was saying a minute ago, uh, I came from working in Germany, and uh, in Germany, they, they've never moved to a comprehensive system. Well, they sort of semi did. And uh, some some cities or lender, as they call the counties, have a sort of mixture with some of the schools are are comprehensive. Um, But the grammar school and secondary school system has always been and still is. Um, But you get assessed not by an exam at 11, you get assessed on the basis of how well you did in your primary school. And then you go off either to the the gymnasium, which is the word that's spelt the same as gymnasium but doesn't mean gymnasium, <laughs> it means grammar school, or the Realschule, which is the uh, the equivalent of the secondary school. But of course, the the, the standards of education in Germany are extremely high. Yeah. Uh, so you get a great education no matter which, which of those you would go to.
1: When you when you said about uh, the way you put it at the beginning, when you when you came to England, like. How how long were you like solidly in 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 Bremen? I guess in Germany before that.
0: Yeah, I was there for three years. Um, what happened was that uh, after <laughs> after finishing university, I d- didn't know what I was going to do. Most people uh, end up in that position. And uh, so I dossed around for a year, and then I and then I decided to to do the only thing open to people who don't know what to do, which is go into teaching. Uh, and at the end of that, I was I was oh by the way, my my um, speciality was modern languages, as they call it, yeah, um, European studies. So anyway, so I ended up doing a PGC for teaching in Bristol. And then, again, came out of that and had nowhere to go, nothing to do, and didn't know what to do. But it was one of those strange periods where there was a lack of teachers uh, in a specific country. We've had this occasionally here with having to bring people in from Australia and what have you, when there's been not enough teachers. And Germany didn't have enough English teachers. And so, yeah, in a a very strange turn of events, uh, an English company set itself up it was a private company called the center for british teachers <laughs> and basically they
1: yeah it sounds like something out of a john le carré novel that just sounds really yeah.
0: ominous. It, w- it was quite ominous in a strange way because it turned out that of course they were ripping everybody off and uh i think eventually they went bust but uh, so you didn't apply to a specific school you applied to this company And then you went over and you did two weeks of learning the German school system in a a kind of a course that you did. Yeah. Now, I was one of the few people who spoke fluent German because, uh, but, you know, I I had this very strong identification with the language and the country and people that I met. And uh, but uh, some of those people were pitching up and they didn't speak any German and they were expected to go into a classroom uh, and teach full time. Um, in the German school system, knowing, yeah, yeah, in the in the st- in the mainstream German school system, who who were lacking English teachers. So it wasn't like Tefl. So some of them, where with
1: Tefl you have, you know, part of the part of the gig is to not speak the native language. You just speak the language that you're teaching. If you go into the German school system to teach English, you have to speak German, don't you? I mean, you have to you have well, to do all the attendant stuff that goes along with teaching, I guess.
0: Well, not necessarily. That's another whole subject that we could talk about for about half an hour, probably. But um, the the idea of going into a classroom and speaking only in the target languages, as it's called, yeah. um, is actually a very good one. And, and I tried. You, you can tell me later whether I succeeded. I tried to do that in my uh, lessons in, in uh, England when I was teaching French and German, that I wouldn't actually use any English in the classroom. But. Uh, in Germany, if you go into a sort of a completely normal school where there's some, quite possibly some very naughty children, and they sus that you can't understand what they're saying, yeah. uh, you're going to be pretty much doomed. So if it's if, you know if you're teaching TEFL in an evening class for adults, that's a different matter. Yeah. Anyway, so there I was, and uh, they also didn't give you any choice about where you went. So they just sent me to this place. <laughs> uh, that I'd vaguely heard of called Bremen in North Germany. And um, and I was just pitched straight into teaching full-time uh, normal sort of secondary age kids. Well, again, I can talk a lot about that in the future, but uh, it was the most amazingly unbelievably wonderful experience because everybody was so kind and so welcoming and you were treated like a kind of rock star because uh back I don't think in the days of Brexit is true anymore, but back then being English was like as cool as you could possibly be. And so they kind of loved me from day one and I loved them from day one. And I didn't want to leave, but what happened was that after two years, uh, they didn't need the teachers anymore. Oh right. Yes, and quite rightly, the local teaching unions were saying, hang on a minute, we've got people gra- graduating and being unemployed, and then you've got all these uh, foreigners, in inverted commas, uh, using their jobs. Yeah. So, so this Centre for British Teachers was uh, shut down, effectively. not shut down, but the the contract ended with the with the German authorities, and I think they went off and they started doing the same thing in Dubai or somewhere. But as it was, uh, people like me either had to go back to England or, or find another job of some kind. Yeah. And what, what happened actually, luckily, was that I was teaching some classes that were coming up for their Abitur, which is the A-levels. And the t- parents really very badly didn't want me to leave because it would have been detrimental to the kids' education to f- lose their teacher in the middle of that Figures, course. yeah. So, uh, so there was a bit of a, you know, parental pressure and I got employed then for a one year contract by the actual local authority in Bremen. And at that stage, that's when I thought, right, I'm, I'm here for good now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to settle down and this is going to be my future. But unfortunately, uh, the unions still were unhappy with this situation because uh you know their own teachers weren't weren't getting the jobs and they put a lot of pressure on the local authority and in the end the local authority said right we're not going to renew the contracts of any of these people there were a few of us left in germany at the time so it wasn't just a one so there i am were you
1: you were you were one of a few mm. people that managed to stay on for a bit longer
0: yes correct and there were even a smaller number who stayed on for good and and weren't in that position the position i was in was that people were queuing up for my job but a friend of mine for example who lived in, in south germany in a small town there wasn't anybody queuing up for his job so he stayed on married a german woman and as far as i'm aware well he'll be retired now but uh, he spent the rest of his career in that same school
1: so do you think do, do you think if if the if those contract negotiations had gone differently, like, as you say, you would have just gone, this is it. I'm staying here. I Bremen is my home and you wouldn't have come back to the UK. If you could have done, if you could yes. have stayed there, you would have stayed there.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely would have stayed there. That, that was my plan. Uh, I, I had no intention of coming back to the UK uh, because, uh, you know, when you end up somewhere and it's the place you feel comfortable and you think, oh, great. I had wonderful colleagues and, it was a it was a it was very well paid you know German teachers have always been extremely well paid uh i can I can come on to that in a moment, but um as it happened, I was in a position where I had to seek some kind of employment and so uh in those days, the only way to get a job was to buy the paper called The Times Educational Supplement, yeah. where all the jobs were advertised so uh i i subscribed to it got it posted out to me in Raymond, and i set up three interviews for a uh language teacher uh, yeah. and they were all in the south of england so one of them was in a town called uh, melton mowbray
1: where the pies uh, come from
0: pardon where the pies, yes, the pies come, come from, from. yes yeah. <laughs> World famous uh, home of pies Exactly. Absolutely disgusting things if I remember rightly. I uh, I, I sort of looked at one once and uh, refused to take a bite.
1: is oh, no, no, no. Nothing wrong with a Melton Mowbray. I've been to Bakewell and had a Bakewell oh, yes. tart. Yeah, and a Bakewell pudding. Oh well that's pudding, different, that's sweet. It? Yeah, but Melton I know, but well you you get that bit of jelly in the top of a Melton Mowbray and that could oh, you could don't. Have, no, you could have a Melton Mowbray with some I don't know, with cranberry sauce or something. That would give it a bit of a sweet edge. Be quite fancy a Melton Mowbray
0: now. That, that that stuff. You know what that gelatini stuff is? It's kind of melted down yeah. animals innards. It's absolutely evil. <laughs> I just well, want to puke just thinking about it actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a that's a different. Yeah, let's not let's not get into
1: animal innards quite yet. But
0: it, well, yeah, I know but we can we can have a pie episode. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. Definitely, definitely. And Sorry, in Melton where Mowbray. Yes, oh, well, yeah, there, I, there I was in Melton Mowbray. Uh, so on one day it was in Melton Mowbray. The second uh, day was Henry Beaufort School, Winchester. Yeah, and the third day was going to be uh, Robert May's School in. Odium, which is uh very pretty Sorry. Basingstoke. Yeah. That was the one where I actually thought, Oh yeah, I I'm probably gonna end up there and I quite like that idea. But of course you have to you have to pass the interview first and <laughs> right, uh, yeah. and uh get the job. So anyway, uh so in, in Melton Mowbray, um it was a horrible school. I walked in and I thought I couldn't possibly teach it, but I went through the interview process and it was a, it was a new school again headmaster was a kind of jack the lad type i mean headmasters nowadays now the whole thing's sort of semi privatized privatized they're nearly all jack the lads but back in those days you had very uh, respectable head, headmasters with head teachers with backgrounds in education rather than business you know they were real anyway, academics this, yeah and this jack the lad guy said he said look because uh, when i when i said actually uh, I don't think I fit in here and I, I don't think I'm not very comfortable, so I, I, I don't think I can take the job. He then said, uh, oh, I can guarantee you, mate, you'll be at a department within six months and your salary will be uh, all you dreamed of, mate. And, and all uh, the pies you want. Yeah, so you can have free pies for life. <laughs> That's, that's my uh, whereupon i said don't you know they're made from melted down animal innards <laughs> uh, he,
1: he started going off on one about cranberry
0: sauce as well probably yeah <laughs> the thing was uh it was a, a quite a serious moment uh richard in fact you know i'm sure we all talk about the turning points in our lives because for all i knew i wouldn't get offered either of the other jobs And you had to say yes or no on the spot. You couldn't say, oh, well, I'll go away and think about it for a few days because you've got all the other candidates there. And if you don't take the job, they have to offer it, offer it to one of the other ones. Uh, So I said to this uh, Jack lad, "Uh, I'm really sorry, but I can't, uh, I can't take this job. I just doesn't feel right. Thinking shit. Now what am I going to do? I won't get the other two jobs either. And then I'll be unemployed. Yeah. Anyway, my now uh, wife was with me at the time she came over and was traveling around to these unlikely pie places with me. And, um, and so the only time in my life ever that I've drunk, um, serious liquor during the day, because I was just in such a state of sort of, I could almost hardly breathe. And, uh, opposite was a a pub. So we just went over the pub and I had a brandy. I said, I got to have a brandy. I've never had a brandy since I don't think, but, uh, I had a brandy and it did make me feel better. Yeah. So anyway, on to Winchester, we're going to talk about you in a sec, but, uh, I pitched up at this school where you were the pupil a few years Mm -hmm. later. And well, apart from the fact it was all brand new, which is rather attractive. Um, I immediately hit it off with the head teacher because he was a linguist and he was, very very committed to having a very strong emphasis on teaching languages in the school and uh they were looking for a german expert so i fitted that m- mode yeah and the interview went really well and i thought oh yes and prior to that we were doing this whole thing by bus so i got into the middle of winchester and then we caught a little bus out to hastock uh, you could see that Winchester was just a really, really nice place. And you so walked to the you, school.
1: Sorry, yes. where were you getting the bus from? Where were you living then?
0: Well, I was in Germany. I was. We we came over. Uh, oh right! In, so you literally came to, to over. To, yeah. Ah. Yeah, came over just to do the interviews uh, in the space of a three That's Why I'd set them up in three consecutive days. Yeah. So, uh, I just felt. I could really feel comfortable here. It was a, a, a really nice city. Uh, the school, you could tell straight away there was a great sort of, you know, use a pompous word, but the ethos was, was really good. The kids were so well behaved, you know, as usual, they, you know, they give you a couple of people to take you around and show you everything. Yeah. And they were so polite and, uh, just, you, I could tell straight away it's going to be a nice place to work, which is why I ended up there working there for over 20 years. Yeah. Um, So that was that So uh, in the the end I just said Okay, immediately Well luckily I got offered the job And I said yes And then I rang up the school in Odium And said uh, I won't be coming for the interview Because I've uh, taken this job in Winchester So that was how I ended up there Richard. So it was completely random We would never have met if I had stuck with the pies And uh, said yes to Melton Mowbray You'd be a lot fatter as well. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs>
1: it would be good though if you had if you'd if you'd picked your jobs just on places which were famous for food. So you could have gone Melton Mowbray, you could have gone for a job in Bakewell. Cheddar, you could have, you could have gone there. Or just the whole of Cornwall.
0: Yes uh Indeed, I could have gone to Ginsters Comprehensive. Would yeah. have been perfect. Have you looked was... uh, looked at or tried their vegan pasties? By the way. Yes,
1: I think I had. I
0: have. I, w- I have. I would like to say Ginsters should sponsor this broadcast because they are to die for. And at the moment, I'm eating one a day.
1: Really. Yes. Can you get them delivered, or do you just you can probably get them over the road, can't you? In the in the post office.
0: Well, no. Um, uh, uh, my wife still goes to the uh, supermarket, and she buys me uh-huh. a week's supply, and <laughs> sticks them in the fridge, and I have one a day. I'm completely. Have you, got
1: them... <laughs> have, you got, have you got them in a little section in the fridge, which has got the num- name of the days on the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> it's like your little I'm... pill
0: box, but for pasties. Uh, God, you know what that would be a great invention, wouldn't it? It would, like yeah. a sort of plastic pasty shelf in your fridge You're right, with with, with one, 2, 3, four, five on them I don't have them yeah, at definitely. weekends
1: You don't? What do you have no, at weekends then? It seems to less me special.
0: Yes, I, I just have uh, I have a curry on a Saturday and a roast On a, on a Sunday
1: <laughs> You would have fitted in well with that Jack Mulatt head teacher By the sounds <laughs> <of> it <laughs> You're just eating pasties all week Curry at the weekend, <laughs>
0: roast at a weekend, and a load of steamtown lager. That's right, and 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 head of department within six months, mate. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: Though the head teacher at Henry Beaufort was that Mr. Hubert.
0: Yeah, that was Bill Hubert. Rest in peace. Yeah. He died several yeah. years ago now. Um Bill was the most wonderful person. And uh certain people are influential in your life and he was very influential in mine because he was totally supportive of everything we did in the languages department
1: i didn't know he was Uh, a a linguist
0: yeah yeah he was a french specialist but you do did
1: did head teachers teach back then i mean
0: yes oh yeah he insisted on teaching yes he taught uh oh maybe two or three classes and then as time went on and you know the kind of responsibilities he took on were getting bigger and bigger uh, i think he ended up to teaching maybe just two classes but he always insisted on teaching he said that a head head teacher's uh, task is to be at the chalk faces they called it so he knows yeah. exactly what's going on uh, subsequent guys that came along after him Um, you know, just spent their entire time in their offices and virtually never came out. And uh, you could see the results straight away with the standards dropping, you know. Because they're just caught doing admin. Yes. And, you know, call me cynical, but, you know, people like to get promoted out of the job that they're not very good at, uh, i.e. teaching. And, uh, you know, most most, many teachers don't actually enjoy their job very much and uh, make it their task to try and get themselves promoted into administrative jobs where you don't have to teach anymore.
1: Are you in any position to say that it was a more enjoyable profession back then than it is now? It, it, totally. It, yeah. Totally,
0: yeah. I mean, I can, you know, y- y- you you know how my day-to-day <laughs> work was. I, I I had my own classroom, which was yeah. separate from the rest of the school, it was yeah. it had been it, had, it was called the club room, and it was built initially as uh, a school for uh, sorry a room for after school activities, but it never got used for that because th- there wasn't enough room, so it was used as a classroom. But I was given that as a languages room, and I immediately turned it into like a full scale languages room by papering it from head to foot oh, with yes, posters. Of
1: course, it had all those posters. I'd forgotten about
0: that. Yeah, yeah. And oh, wow. uh nobody ever knew what we were doing because uh ne- next to the the classroom was a concert hall, which sounds very posh. It doubled as a gym, and then next to yeah. that was was an actual gym. And, and the there was a kind rooms. of like a, a changing room and a toilet block out the back, and then this funny little room which was just given to me. And I swear I was in there for twenty years and nobody ever disturbed me or came along or um tried to sort of tell me what to do because I was always getting the results and there was never any trouble in the way of, you know, kids misbehaving or what have you. Um and because Bill was so supportive and keen that languages should be a major emphasis of the school, he loved the idea of this little language room where everything in the wall on the walls was French or German, Spanish yeah. maybe. And what, but was what, the, was so, what was
1: the name yeah. of that block? That that wasn't C block, was it? No,
0: it was T block. Uh, oh, T was block? It? No, it's, I, no, cause uh, no, because T tower. block was down the bottom. Yeah. yeah, and C. God, now that's embarrassing that I don't remember what it was called.
1: Maybe it didn't uh, have
0: a. Maybe it didn't have a name. C I block think it was, was
1: where maths was. That was down yeah. the bottom. T block's the tower.
0: Yes.
1: Maybe oh, they didn't well, all her. I'll a, ask somebody. There was, there was an a block because a, yeah, a block was block where art was the was. center yeah yeah yeah
0: now can you remember uh that the tutor groups were all uh given letters based on uh different countries now can you recite them do you remember them all
1: oh you see i was going to ask you i was going to ask you where h r e s t o came from that came from kostock
0: oh right yes Years
1: HR and no classes HR and E. Would you say years or classes? Because you were in H1 up to H5, weren't you?
0: I guess five
1: classes. So HR and E, they are the ones that started with French and STO started with German.
0: Correct. And I just to just to explain. That strange uh, inconsistency with what we've just been saying. Later on, they changed all the classes, and they weren't H R E S T O anymore. From hairstock, uh, they all became things like uh, L for Luxembourg. We were Luxembourg uh, because really? we're languages, and obviously, in in Luxembourg, they speak several different languages. Uh, there was uh, B for uh, Berlin. There was. I think a P for Paris, and all the different uh, departments were named after uh, capital cities in Europe. And again, that was Bill's influence.
1: I had no idea,
0: but you were right when you came along. So you 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 turn up in nineteen uh, seventy nine, did you say?
1: I think so, something like that.
0: Yeah, I would have been uh, I would have been there for three years. Then by the time you arrived, and uh, you got either put in. H R and E, which probably were the ones that did French, and S T and O, which were the ones that did German, because in those days languages were compulsory. Then you had to choose a language.
1: Now, and I don't, I don't think this is necessarily true, but if you were in S T O, then the general feeling was that there had been some sort of cull going on, and S T O were in some way considered to be the thickies and HRE <laughs> were the clever people that we'd all done some weird invisible test that none of us well we had probably had our memories blanked after doing it we did a test to determine whether we were clever enough to do French or whether we were going to do German no offense to German obviously and uh... and then a load of us got stuck into STO and we but yeah that
0: wasn't right so you're saying had no, there was some we had kind no of
1: choice in that
0: all right, I will explain all about that. It's, it, it, it makes me laugh that, that of course, you, you didn't realise what was happening there. Uh, you probably, in fact, you obviously still don't realise to this day. No, but so nobody you're saying, you...
1: When you're a kid at school, nobody asks your opinion, do they? I mean, it's not like people say, <laughs> do, do you think this is a good process for determining which language you're going to learn and which group you're going to be in? You're just told what to do. Yes, it's like when, you, so... when I started learning, I started learning the tenor horn, because everybody kind of had to learn um, learn an instrument. And in those days, you know, there was no option to learn guitar or anything interesting. And Mr. Andrews, who was the parapathetic brass tutor, the, the way that, I was going to say, the way that you chose which brass instrument you played well that, that whole sentence is rubbish because the brass instrument was chosen for you because you you queued up outside his room in the music block m block so there's another one um yes. you queued up outside the room on the first day of school you went in and he had just a whole variety of different mouthpieces a mouthpiece for a cornet a, a mouthpiece for a trumpet one for a trombone one for a tenor horn one for a euphonium and the very hygienic way of choosing which instrument that you were going to play was holding up each of those mouthpieces to your mouth and deciding which one was the best fit. And so I got stuck with the tenor horn, which is the most unromantic, unuseful instrument in in the world of brass. I mean, I could probably right, still I, play I, a C scale, I, but yeah, we were I, we were we were chosen by mouth size. So John McIntosh, I, bigger mouth <laughs> than me, he played the trombone. <laughs>
0: I accuse you of having made up that entire story. That cannot possibly be true.
1: No, I, I honestly, honestly, you can ask next time you see any of that lot. Next time you you see John ask him and we, we were, we were in a queue outside a room. We went in and like a traveling salesman, Mr. Andrews just lifted up this case and <laughs> just had all these mouthpieces and he'd take them out one at a time and hold them up to our lips And it would be like, oh, you know, Keith, you're obviously a trumpet player. Brian, you're obviously a euphonium player. Rich, tenor horn for you, mate. And that was it. What's a a tenor horn? Exactly. What's it look like? That question. It looks like a, it looks like a small euphonium and it sits tonally somewhere, I would say, between, between euphoniums and French horns. It hasn't got that brilliant piercing sound that French horns have. Put it this way, if for the music stuff that I've done for the theater shows that I've done, obviously, I've done a lot of orchestral style arrangements. And tenor horn is one of the instruments that I will never choose. Not that I would i would never choose it in the software, but it doesn't exist in the software. Nobody's interested in tenor horns french horns wonderful trombones wonderful trumpets wonderful ten horn uh, you can play little donkey with it but that's that's
0: that's kind of it
1: really still i guess it was a grounding is, in musical theory but
0: uh, then, is it one of with, those ones that you can wrap yourself up in like a euphonium
1: no no not quite like that that's um see, that's very german of you isn't it um it's it's more like uh is euphonium? Does euphonium wrap around you? What am I? It's yeah, tuba. Yeah. It's more no. It's more like a tuba, a small tuba. If you can so imagine is it, a tuba for small people, which we were when we were eleven years old. So yeah.
0: So is it more it's that kind of thing, or, or
1: more like the latter? Kind of somewhere in between, and that's why it's it's sort of multi multi useless really. It's it's got no. I don't think there's did, a defining thing of. Elgar never wrote a, you
0: know, tenor horn concerto. Did everybody get offered an instrument then?
1: Yeah, I think we all, did we all? I think we all, I think we all had to learn. Or maybe not. No, maybe it was my, I I may be wrong, maybe it was my folks,
0: but everybody I know played an instrument. So did you have to go out and buy yourself a horn then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was the thing where the school probably... Furnished, no, no, we would have gone to Whitwams and probably had some sort of every parent had an HP deal with Whitwams where they paid two pounds fifty a week to pay off the however many quid it was for a tenner
0: horn, yeah, because uh, they they I don't expect they come cheap, do they?
1: No, I don't think so, but in the same way that. You know, now you can pick up a guitar for next to nothing and it won't be very good. I mean, I don't think that the instruments that we were playing were they obviously weren't great, they were just the instruments that you played to play an instrument. There was no, um, no thought of necessarily taking it any further than it just being an activity that you had to do.
0: How many years did you uh learn horn? Um,
1: Three maybe two or three.
0: I because Jonathan learned... became quite adept at trumpet playing, didn't he?
1: Yeah, well, he well he learned the trombone, but then in later oh. life he picked up the trumpet and started playing the trumpet. And yeah, he's yeah he's good. And it was oh, I don't know. It was just one of those weird things where I think for all of us, and I have a bit of a theory that probably the first instrument that you ever play is probably not the instrument that you're going to end up playing if you carry on being mm. interested in music. Um, but I did learn, I guess that was my first introduction to learning music theory and be able to read music. So that was dead useful. Although when I gave it up and then started playing guitar, I, I did forget it all. People always say that learning music and being able to read music, it's like riding a bike, but It's not unless you're riding that bike really badly and you fall off. You can fall off. You just and I just forgot everything I knew about music theory, and then years later had to. I didn't have to, but wanted to relearn it, so relearned it
0: and more. So learning how to read music and and, and, um, all the notation and stuff was part of that education. Then was it?
1: Yeah, because you were when you were taught a C major scale on the tenor horn. You were taught it by saying, "Well, this is the fingering for that note there. This is the next note. That's the next." No-. And so, yeah, you learn you learn music, you learned the instrument, and you learn how to read music at the same time.
0: Don't you think that guess, that was a really, really good thing to be offered though at a, such a young age and in mainstream state education?
1: Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not knocking it at all. I mean, I, I just think it's funny that it was tenor horn for me, but. It, it, but then, even if it had been trumpet, I doubt I would have carried on playing trumpet because I wasn't interested then. And if that said, if I'd learnt trumpet back then and say played for five years and then stopped, if I'd then gone, trumpet was definitely an instrument that you could have kind of gone back to, um, because it's a, I mean, what it's a cool instrument
0: but i'm intrigued Horne, by it? the uh i'm intrigued by the the, the the mouth auditions though i mean you know what kind of a mouth would you need if, you, if they'd given you harmonica as uh as your option
1: if only they'd given you harmonica i mean that would have been <laughs>
0: that would have been interesting but
1: but would, I mean, they it? used to have they used to have guitars hanging up in in the music room but i don't know who played them i mean nobody was learning Obviously nobody was learning like rock guitar or jazz. I mean, it all would have been finger style classical. And there probably was a guitar tutor that came in and taught, but I had no idea who that was. I never had I never had any lessons with them. Do you think?
0: Do you think he dipped all these various mouthpieces in uh, disinfectant between each uh, audition? I, I, I just—I mean, I'm trying to picture him, sort of I'm like a like a baby's dummies that sort are of going along and sticking these things in people's mouths. He could have been arrested. as It sounds appalling.
1: Now, well, there's a lot of music teachers that could have been arrested up at Henry Beaufort. That's for
0: sure. <laughs> well, and let's not get into them because uh, <laughs> they might be listening. Uh, yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but it was. Uh, um, It was a good education, as in good education for learning a bit
0: about music. Can you remember why we suddenly started talking about music? I'm glad we are. We were talking about something else.
1: Oh, we were talking about H R E S T O. And we were saying, I was saying, I was saying there was a a test that we all had to do. And then we had our memories blanked afterwards. So we don't remember. Right.
0: Now I will explain it all and you will be staggered. Go on. Basically. Yeah, we were going around the primary schools and we said, who are the really thick ones? We'll put them in STO and who are the really bright ones? We'll put them in HRE. This is a lie. We didn't do anything like that at all. The problem was that uh, we wanted to give uh, the possibility of learning either German or French. And then uh, when you did well in either of those subjects, you then got the opportunity to learn the other one as well. So if you were particularly good in your subject that you got taught out of those two and you wanted to, you could then from the second year onwards do two languages. Uh, so if you didn't want to continue, you just continued with the one that you've been given. So we ended up, obviously, with uh, uh, a lot of, well, 50% pe- people doing German, 50% doing French. And it was only literally based on the staffing. The fact that I uh, and uh, various colleagues were German specialists meant that there was a lot of German in that school. Nowadays, it's completely, pretty much totally died out in UK schools and been replaced largely by Spanish as as, as, as the second language. French has always been the first language. How you ended up in ST and O was as follows. Uh, The parents were given the option of choosing which language they preferred for their child. And before the child arrived at the school, they had a form to fill out. Would you prefer your child to learn French or German?
1: And what your parents do is either hold up a a pair of lederhosen to you or a stripy shirt and decide which one you look best in and then that, that's the <laughs> random
0: that's the random uh, the random way of
1: deciding which language
0: you're going to learn well it was, it was actually more evil than that when you think about it because the people who would choose french were largely the kind of better off people who would take their children on french holidays uh and the people who are, are also in the areas you know in the catchment area there were at least uh, two uh quite large army camps so there would be people who would either say oh fantastic we've been stationed in germany we love it there we want our children to learn german or who said no we're in the army we hate germans we don't want our children to learn german um and the majority didn't know and the ones who definitely didn't know would hand back a form with the box tick saying we don't mind. And Ah. because far more people opted for French than for German, the people whose parents didn't know or didn't care were all inevitably put into German. And that's why you think that you were selected on the basis of uh, not being very bright. Well, that's not true at all because I had some incredibly bright kids in my German classes, as you well know. Um, But that's how that myth grew up, and it might possibly have a little bit of substance to it. In that, maybe the better off or the more caring parents who did take their children on French holidays would have selected French, and maybe some of the parents who just didn't care at all uh, couldn't give a shit. Then they ended up doing German.
1: So, basically, does I that think, explain you, it? Absolutely. If you if you go to if you're used to going to France on your school holidays, you learn French.
0: If you go to the Isle of Wight,
1: you learn German.
0: Exactly, and very useful it will be.